Welcome to the Recover Everything podcast, where we have honest discussions about everything in recovery and mental health. Here are your hosts, Christopher West and Chelsea Mooney. Enjoy. There's 23 million people struggling with addiction. Whatever your answer is. Lift the shame and stigma of addiction. Don't choose anything that will jeopardize yourself. Look, you can face this, even though you think you can't, you can. So find your own recovery story, own it, embrace it, work through it. Each and every one of us matters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Recover Everything Podcast. I'm your host, Chris West. With me, as always, is Chelsea Money. Hello, beautiful people. And today we have on our show Shannon Egan, author, journalist, amazing human being, and a person in long-term recovery. Woohoo! What's up, everybody? <laughs> we are so happy to have you on, Shannon. I've been wanting to have you on since I've been a co-host. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited for the topic of the day. I think there's going to be many topics. Uh, the one I'm most excited about is cosplay. <laughs> oh, cosplay. I am working on my cosplay body right now, currently, for October. Well, it's a Halloween costume, and, but... And what's your costume going to be, Chris? Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers. I don't even know who that is. Captain either. America. Why do you have to say Steve Rogers? Because his name is Steve <laughs> Rogers. But is that his name in the in the show, or is that his the actor's name? No, the actor's name is Chris Evans, but Steve oh. Steve Rogers is Captain America's real name in the comic books. So, like, um, Batman's real name is Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. I know, Iron, I know everything about Iron this, Man if you can't tell. is Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Captain America. Okay. <laughs> so are you going to dress as all of them? or No, just Steve Rogers. Okay. Should I call you Steve? When I have my shield. <laughs> Anyways, enough about me and Steve Rogers. <laughs> Should we get Steve Rogers to come on the show? <laughs> yes. I think Chris would really like that. I know. would. Shannon, maybe you could do a cosplay of Steve Rogers. I think that would be cool. Maybe like a female Captain America, right? Totally. Uh, like your uh, Hubba. <laughs> like your Michael Jackson was cool. I liked that one. Oh yeah. Oh my my family did not like that. They thought that Michael Jackson was, you know, devilish and they were like, No. But he was my jam back in the day and I was like I even had I, my skin was white white enough, so I had to paint my skin white. <laughs> and that's hilarious. That is so good. Yeah, I loved him too. And then I saw that horrible documentary, documentary. and then I feel guilty every time I listen now. I know. But, I know. But hey, you know, his music is timeless, and he's dead. So that's yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. <laughs> So, Shannon, I wanted to, before we get into some taboo topics of recovery, I wanted to kind of hear about what your story is, how long you've been in recovery, that sort of stuff. Okay. So, I I have eight years in recovery in January, Woo. which is 
seems so crazy to me. I literally feel like it was ages ago. Um, but so at my rock bottom, I ended up in jail with a felony DUI. It was my third DUI in 10 years and, um, was looking at like a year in jail. And so it was kind of, um, and before that I had been traveling and, uh, working as a journalist in Africa and New York. And so it's kind of like, you know, they say you hit rock, you hit rock bottom and you have to lose the one thing that means most to you. Um, so for me, that was writing and the work that I was doing and um, not being able to travel, like looking at this year in jail. And so, um, yeah, it was really scary, but I, um, you know, I got sober and that's kind of it in a nutshell. I, I guess I could, add, I could add, I think the thing that is key to my story is, so I'm from Utah. It is a predominantly Mormon state. Um, and this will kind of tie into like our, you know, taboos and recovery and taboos in general. Um, so I grew up in like a strict religious Mormon family. We weren't allowed to like, not even just talk about sex, but like premarital sex was just like, you know, I mean, it's like a sin next to murder in, in the religion that I was born into. Um, and then you have, um, 70% of the population here is, is baptized Mormon. So what does that mean? Under, um, it means that 70% of the people living in the state have had some form of, like, um, influence in the religion here. So they are been influenced by the religion in some way. So that means they, uh, when they got baptized, they had to take certain vows. Um, and I just, I bring that up just so people know that, I mean, when you have so, so many people that are practicing the same thing, and believing the same things and teaching the same things and reading the same books, then it can create kind of a perverted culture. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to put down the Mormon church. I'm just saying there's, um, Utah's very unique. In, it, cr- it created a bubble kind of. Yeah. And it's still here. It's still going very strong. Um, so yeah, so that was for, for me when I was in my early 20s, well, I started struggling with addiction when I was 15. I started um, smoking pot and then that made me too paranoid and I got into alcohol and that just, I mean, I ran with that. I had my first DUI at 21 and um, just really struggled hardcore and decided or realized that it was the religion that was wasn't working for me. I felt everything was very scripted. I was supposed to get married and have kids that, you know, 19 and everything was planned out. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to ever get married. I want to travel <laughs> the world. I want to explore. And um, so I just, I took off to Africa when I was 24 and kind of built my writing career while living over there and um, kind of found a purpose and passion that was something that was different than what my community was telling me who I had to be. Much um, different community, right? Yeah. So then you were in Africa and you were a journalist there. What was it like being a journalist in Africa? I I think well, it was so cool for me because I literally, I really had grown up in this inside this bubble, you know, um, doing these rituals that didn't make sense to me, like, you know, the Mormons do baptisms for the dead in the temples and all these strange things that I had to start doing at the age of 12 that 
for me, did not feel right, did not feel okay. And I'm, again, I'm not putting the church down. I'm just saying for me, it, it didn't resonate. It wasn't something that had value to me. Mm-hmm. So Las Vegas it has a large Mormon population. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard a myth in high school, and I'm not quite sure because I, I never really asked anybody, but I'm going to ask you now. Um, I heard that they sometimes use attractive women to get people to join or go to certain churches and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that's true. It's it's one of those things, though, that you can't really prove prove because it's not written in stone. But we do have, if you come here um, where the church headquarters are in Salt Lake City, if you go to the Temple Square, it's literally all of the women that are working there are like early 20s, um, you know, just gorgeous girls. And it's kind of like, you know, an idea or people say that they are using them as a tool to, you know, bring people into the church. And they, they do that in other areas, too. So interesting. But yes, yeah, people say that a lot. And I've seen that. Hmm. They have def- I, I remember talking to a couple of elders, males. They're really nice, but after a couple of sessions of me talking to them, they started sending young, attractive females to my house hmm. to get me. Oh, to go, really? To get me to go to a singles night. Oh my gosh! That's... Are you nor- Mormon? I have family that's Mormon. Yeah. Got it. And how do you feel about that? I mean, oh I don't yes, know. this lady's nice. No, it's just like <laughs> I'm obviously not going to go. We have nothing in common. Hmm. Uh Thank you. You're nice people, but have a good day. Hmm. So, Shannon, when you were in Africa, um, is that when you started your first book? It was. I started. um, What was cool about like that whole process of Africa and like my healing and growing up in this religion that didn't make sense to me um, was that I had to. I was working with my editor who was based in Kenya and I was living in Sudan at the time. And he, you know, he was just super smart. And he, anytime I t- turned something in, a hot news story or something like that about something going on in the community, he's like, everything that you write has to be backed up with facts and it has to be logical and rational. And it can't be like an explosive accusation against the government. It has to be. So, what was cool about that is because I had grown up in this religion that, you know, a lot of the history is shoddy a lot of the information about Joseph Smith, about him being a pedophile and being murdered by the townsfolk in Missouri uh, because he was basically raping the children there. This is all history. This is all documented. They have um, articles and tons of things that um, can back that up. But I had grown up, you know, not being able to access history because the church wanted to present information about Joseph Smith in the same way. So I really hadn't, like, practiced my rationale muscle or my logical thinking muscle and all these things. And so the two and a half years that I was in Sudan, it helped me kind of redevelop those muscles and start being able to think for myself and go, wait a minute, facts do matter. Logic does matter. Um, When you're building a story, don't, you know, emotion is important, but but try to, you know, take a step back and see what's really going on and what the real information is, what the data is. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, I kind of healed a lot from that. I was still struggling with addiction over there. I thought, oh, I'm going to go to Sudan, and it's governed by Sharia law, um, which, you know, the strictest form of Islamic law. So you can't have drugs or alcohol there. But uh, So I thought, oh, I'm going to go there, I'm going to sober up, and I'm going to live out my dream. Um, but, of course, you know, the alcoholic always finds a way to get what they need, right. and they definitely had a black black market there. So, um, but, um, so I struggled with that, but I, my career, I, my writing, my passion and all that was going so well that, um, I was still able to thrive while I was over there and start working on my book and stuff like that. So how long did it take you to write your book? Oh man, it took me, I, it was probably 10 years. Um, cause after Africa, I, I moved to New York and I wrote for the UN there, but my addiction was so out of control in New York. Um, and a lot of it was from, you know, just my past trauma, uh, right? trauma yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Is that what your book is um, about? It is. It's, it's about, it's, it's kind of about, um, religious oppression. So it kind of starts with, um, you know, growing up Mormon and wanting to find my own path and going to Africa um, to escape the Mormons and then finding myself in a, the middle of a war-torn country that was in a religious war. They were literally the Muslims and the Christians were fighting for their rights uh, to serve God or to believe in spirituality in their own way. And so it was kind of like my internal struggle was like mm -hmm. there all around me. And so that's kind of what the book's about and also about addiction and recovery and um, just oppression in general and taboos and what the fuck are we doing with this world? And, you know, we need more free thinkers. And um, that's why I, I wrote the book is to inspire people to honor their own truth, you know? Yes, absolutely. And for those who are listening that are interested, what you should be, because it is an amazing book. It's called No, no Tourists, Tourists Allowed. I'm going to say that again. Can you please cut that out? <laughs> you did awesome, Chelsea. No Tourists Allowed by Shannon Egan. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yes, for sure. So once you found recovery, you kind of took a different path um, to recovery than... Then the standard, right, 12-step approach, um, your path is generally art. Art is your path to recovery. And I wanted to kind of tell the people who are listening a little bit about, you know, how you recover through art and how you inspire others to do so too. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I um, – so it's kind of interesting. I didn't – you know, do the 12 steps or treatment. I go to a treatment program or anything like that. I did a lot of uh, reading and meditation. And um, really, I like to just kind of say it how it was. I literally had a gun to my head, basically, with, you know, the criminal justice system um, telling me that one false move and I was going to prison, basically. Um, I had my PO checking in on me all the time. So it was kind of a forced recovery in the beginning, which I was super grateful for because I wasn't going to get sober any other way. But the 12, I, tr I tried to do the 12 steps and I just, I begged the judge when I finally went for my um, arraignment or whatever it's called is just, I said, can you let me, you know, try a different path? I cannot do 12 steps. It reminds me of 
my strict religious upbringing, which is it triggers my trauma and I'm going to relapse again. Mm -hmm. And um, I had already begged the judge on my second DUI and they, he had uh, said, no, you got to do the 12 steps. So I had forged all those signatures, um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, just because I I couldn't stand to go into a meeting. Mm -hmm. There were too many rules and everybody was, it just reminded me of oppressed thinking Mm -hmm. because of my childhood. Not saying that that's true or a fact. I'm just saying there were elements that reminded me of my past. Totally. I went Um, to my first meeting the other day. Did you? Mm-hmm. You did? Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't stay very long. Okay. Well, I was just wondering, I guess, Chris, I don't know your story. How long are you in recovery? I'm, I'm not in particular, but uh, I went anyways. And uh, it was an experience for sure. Um, I don't know. I definitely felt like I did not belong. That's usually how you feel at the beginning. Which sounds cultish <laughs> coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Until they until you <clears throat> learn to conform, right? That yeah. Totally like I know, it did when it came out of my mouth. I mean, I'm an I myself go to twelve step meetings on a regular basis and I follow the regimen, if you will. Um, but this is something definitely we can explore through the taboo. I mean, the topic of, you know, this being a taboo is that like they it's it's said that there's only you know this is your rubric to recover and you know shannon and other people are living proof that you can find recovery through multiple multiple pathways yes and i I just feel like even that statement is so dangerous to say that this is the way the only way it's to me it just sounds like power and control Mm -hmm. and it was written by a human being you know what i mean like not one human being has all the answers joseph smith didn't and i just i don't think that bill white had all the answers i think that we're all flawed people and so you know we just we need to protect the people in the recovery movement and allow them to have more space and freedom to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. When I when I first got into recovery and I started um, working, it was two years of my recovery, and I had had consecutive two years, no relapses, um, working on myself, doing well. Um, I started working at a recovery community center here in uh, Utah, and um, you know, learning about the movement, learning about multiple pathways and recovery advocacy and all these things I'd never even heard of. It blew my mind. And everybody at the center that would come in and be like, so what's your recovery path? And I'd be like, oh, creativity. And they'd be like, what? (laughs) Well, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? They were really big into the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. And there was definitely like that pressure to conform. And, um, I just, I, I, I think about three years then I almost, I started doing this stuff because I felt so much pressure and I just, I, I wanted to be belong. I wanted to feel accepted. I didn't want to be the weirdo again that was doing her own thing. I, and then it took me some time and I realized, you know, creativity does work for me. And, and what that means is, is that I, what does that mean? It's so all over the place. <laughs> I mean, writing for me is my creativity uh, or a, a way I express myself, creative writing, not, um, nonfiction writing. I do grant writing. To me, that's connecting to like a higher self within 
um, that's very therapeutic for me. Um, and I also do, as Chris mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I do a lot of, well, I used to do a lot of cosplay. So um, what is cosplay for the people that don't know? So cosplay is when it's um, basically two words. It's costume and play smushed together. And it's the idea of dressing up, uh, creating the costume and dressing up as a character that inspires you. Um, typically the characters are controversial in nature. And so they're, you know, they're heroines that are deeply flawed or heroes. Um, I mean, I, like my, one of my favorite characters to dress up as is um, Edward Scissorhands. But yes. I do like a female, a female version. Um, but I mean, what a deeply flawed and fascinating character that taught us a lot about depression and loneliness and isolation and all of that. And he was Johnny Depp. <laughs> well, I personally love, love, love looking at your cosplay. Um, I think that it's such a great expression. Um, and it's just like so entertaining. And like you are just an entertainer as well. Yeah, your Instagram is very lively. <laughs> Thanks. It's the best. She has more energy than any other human being I know. I agree. <laughs> wow, that's so nice to say. And I've Thank only you. seen the Instagram. <laughs> um, so one of the reasons why we wanted to do this episode too was that Shannon and I were at lunch um, in Salt Lake a, uh, a couple months ago and we were talking about some of these topics, these deep topics, but vulnerable topics that people just don't talk about in recovery, right? These taboo topics that are off limits, if you will. And, you know, things that we all as human beings face and especially in recovery that like it's hard to get support with or, or see what's right or what's real because we don't talk about it. So I want to talk about it. I'm curious yeah. what these topics are. You keep saying the word taboo. Well, what, what is taboo, right? What, let's first face that. What is taboo? I mean, depends on what subject you're talking about. In general, about. like like by definition, what is taboo? Uh, well, it's funny that you asked that because I actually looked it up. I'm going to read this out loud. Are you guys ready? Perf. <laughs> taboo is a social or religious custom prohibiting or forbidding discussion of a particular practice or forbidding association with a particular person, place, or thing. Hmm. So we know like the standard taboos in human life are money. You never talk about money. You never talk about sex and you never talk about religion. Like those I talk are, about like, all of those things all the time. <laughs> well, and like politics. Yes, politics. That is one of the other ones. But those are things that society deem as non-talk aboutable. I disagree, but sure. <laughs> well, Taboo, take, take it up with Merriam-Webster. Taboo to me is like you have to pick something about politics. Or yeah, like it's taboo to, I don't know, make out with your cousin. I, I think that could be considered taboo. Not that I have done that. Unless you're <laughs> Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah. And, um, but yes, those, yeah, I think that could be considered taboo. But, you know, some of the, some of the things, you know, like, I would really like to touch on are like finding a relationship or even like exploring relationships in recovery, right? Like those are things that are can be challenging such as 
you know, do you like talk to somebody outside of recovery or talk to somebody who's normal and do you tell them right away you're in recovery and, you know, or, or even one night stands just having fun, right? We, we, we say that we have to fit into a specific box and that, you know, what, (laughs) and, um, you know, that like you have to do things like the right way and like, what is the right way? I don't think anybody can tell anybody else what their right way is. Yeah, I think they have rules like like newly in recovery, you have to be able to keep a plant alive. Or at least I've heard that. That might be a joke. Like I've heard that. Keep it alive for a year. And um, I've totally heard that one. Have you? But have I kept a plant alive? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. well, I've kept six, six animals alive. Does that That's count? good enough. She has a zoo. A beautiful zoo. I have a zoo as well. <laughs> I have a zoo Aww. in my head. <laughs> I also have a plant. You do, and and you kept it alive for how long? Mm, it's going on seven months now. Wow. It almost died, and I brought it back to life. What'd you do? I said nice things to it. I heard yesterday that that's what you have to do. And gave it lots of water and sunshine. Hmm. Well, that plant thanks you for sure. So like I, I, I've heard experiences, you know, people in recovery are like trying to, they're in the dating scene. And like, of course, there's a million and a half apps for dating and, you know, being in recovery, it can be challenging. Like, you know, a lot of times we loosen up by drinking and like, you know, we can become sexual by drinking and, you know, using substances and like, it's just not the case. Yeah. You know, it's like for me, like the whole relationship thing and sex thing when I first got into recovery was super confusing and I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. In fact, I didn't talk to anybody about it. I just knew, I mean, you know, it's kind of like with um, drinking and using is that I just knew that that was bad for me and so I had to stop. And then I thought the same thing about sex because I was, you know, super free and promiscuous during my addiction days and had no issues with that. And then, but I thought, okay, well, I don't know, maybe I don't want to go down that path while I'm vulnerable and I'm trying to recover. So I also pushed the sex aside for a very long time trying to figure out, you know, what is healthy sex and was what I was doing before, was it unhealthy sex and who gets to decide that and what are the rules? And Right. Um, who, and what like, are the rules? Well, I think that's the, the whole joke of it is like there are no rules. We any rules that come at us from anywhere are human made, mm-hmm. and there's somebody else's ideas and perceptions of based on their own experience. And so, you know, we do get to start with a fresh slate every single day because it's our life. It's our what you know. What, what is are we comfortable with? It's um, it's living your own truth. Exactly. And the thing I think that's really sad is people don't, because we are so um, conditioned to listen to others and to follow authority and do this and do that, and we're just all, you know, caught up in the stories around us, we don't really know what our own story is or our own truth is because we're not asking ourselves, we're not allowing ourselves to to actually express that within, and, and we're not... Um, we don't have that muscle where we we know when we're, you know, what we're saying on the inside. 
How do we get that muscle, Shannon? Like, I'm dying to know for the people that are listening that, you know, feel as though like they're wanting to live more in their truth um, and not just feel as though they're kind of staying within the parameters of what society or even recovery has shown them. Um, You know, I personally know somebody who, what's a nicer way to say it? Trans? No, prostitute. What's a better way to say prostitute? An escort? No. A sex worker. A sex worker. Thank you. Thank you. A lady of the night. (laughs) No. A lady of the night. A lady of the night. So she's a sex worker in recovery and she openly talks about it and she's an advocate and, you know, everybody like to her face will be like, oh, you do you, boo. But then like behind closed doors they're like, that's, you know, like. You can say the word. But I don't want to like I can't believe she's doing that and she's degrading our body and like, you know, like she's supposed to be about women empowerment and it's like, who are you to say what she should be doing? You know, I'm so glad you brought this up because I think um, so I went to this. I'm going to tell this real quick. I when I was in Nevada and I was with, you know, I, I, I can't remember Chelsea. I think I, I don't remember if you were there. But I think, you know, one of our mutual friends was there. But We went to Pahrump County um, for a project uh, and um, we decided to stop stop in at the chicken ranch Mm -hmm. and the lady showed us which is you know the first um brothel ever ever in the united states uh united states i don't know if brothel is the right word what's it called no you're right brothel is that right okay so anyways we went in there and we got a tour to see kind of what it was all about and this was just two years ago i think and um, she took us back uh the host took us back to a room that was like had padded walls and like boxes and chains and um she was explaining that the wealthiest men in the world come and pay to go into this um it's basically a a room for dominatrix and the men come and they play the submissive role and they get tied up and they get whipped they don't get beat they don't get harmed it's just about um somebody telling them no basically is what the Mm, woman explained and so they're tied up yes but she said it's it's not even really about like sex or the fantasy side of things it's about it's more about mental and you guys are going to be like this is crazy but um mental and emotional healing and how she explained it is is that that. these powerful men are never told no wow they are have yes people around them all the time and that when they come in and they're tied up and they're stuck in a box and told not to that they can't get out unless they do a b and c and d um it allows them to have a deep and profound relief that they can't get anywhere else and that's a mental emotional and a physical relief and it helps them to balance their balance themselves out so the reason why i'm bringing this up is there are a lot of other um, studies coming out that um, that kind of uh, dominate, dominating and um, submissive roles, those have value. They have value in life. They have value in sex. They have value in a lot of things. And we can get a lot out of it, especially if we're playing and we're conscious in those roles. And so, and Chelsea, you asked the perfect question, who is to decide that sex work or playing those roles is, is bad or invaluable or, you know, moral or has a, any morality attached to it. It's, none of us get to decide that for each other. 
we get to decide it for ourselves, though. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, I wish that people could really hear it, though, you know, because we have these ideals and just maybe it's uh, our experiences growing up and maybe our own trauma or, you know, our own safety of what we think life should be. But, you know, kind of breaking down like those walls into what we think is normal or what we think should be normal and accept people for who they are. Yes. I think um, for me, like it started like being able to kind of, it it really goes back to relationships and attachments. Like when I was in Sudan and I was living in this, it was listed as the third most dangerous country uh, in the world at the time. They were in the middle of genocide and Africa's longest running civil war. And I gained so much um, empowerment from that. Personal power is what I gained. It, it was less about ego and more about understanding, you know, that I, everything I need is within. Mm. It's not coming from my parents. It's not coming from, you know, A, B, and C. I had the power to survive that. I stood in it. I was present. I, you know, wrote I was able to write all these stories and learn and grow. And it was without anybody else around me that I knew in my entire life. It was just me out there in the fucking wild, you know, finding my way. And I think that that experience allowed me when I came home and I was back in this strict religious environment to, to learn how healthy it is for us to separate ourselves from our relationships. And it's about, you know, kind of like the Buddhist practice of like unattaching from things that, from stories that Mm -hmm. we've created that are not serving us. They're actually holding us down. This is a hard pill to swallow. (laughs) I'm I'm having somewhat of a realization and and in my current situation, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. Mm. Let's hear it. Well, I'm, I'm having relationship issues and all the things you're saying, I'm like, you guys aren't wrong and I don't want to like say too much but I don't want to hold anybody back mm. and I want you know whoever to grow and do what they want but I also want them in my life but it's their responsibility to know if you're holding them back not yours does that make sense yeah but it doesn't hurt any less well, it fucking hurts it's the worst feeling in the goddamn world excuse my French I'm just saying what you're saying is resonating, but just not in the way I would have liked it to. Yeah. Pain hurts. Yeah. Sorry. Painoits. Yeah. And relationships hurt and pain hurts. Mm-hmm. Pain, hurts. pain hurts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry you're going through that, Chris. That doesn't sound, I mean. It's part of the growth of life too, you know? It's our evolution to go through pain because it fucking hurts. And you're right. Nobody can tell somebody else what they should do. You can't force a square peg through a round hole. You can't. uh, It depends on how small the or how big the hole is. Because if the square is smaller. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways. um, Yeah. You know what I think it comes down to, though? I think that this is how I see it anyways. It's like. And I feel like, I don't know, I just, I think it comes down to codependency and it comes down to people not knowing their own, like not feeling and sensing their own value 
Boom. without others. And so we don't we don't have that sense of value without others. And so that's why your story is so codependent on somebody else's story. Because if if you did know your own value outside of others and you felt it like the truth of it, you wouldn't fucking care what anybody in your life is doing mm. because your story and, and it's not dependent on them. It has nothing to do with them. You get to thrive. You get to see. You get to grow in the way that you want, and and you can and and they're they're not linked up. They're not like you know. It's not. There's not a burden there, and I think that that's you know what people don't understand is codependency and not understanding their our own worth without can, other people. But can you understand your own worth and still? you know, want somebody in your life? Well, of course. I mean, in a healthy relationship, you're both understanding your worth. Well, <laughs> I can't speak tonight. You're both understanding your worth, but you're also um, valuing your own worth. Therefore, you don't need to rely on the other to make you value your own worth. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the, it's like the quote of Namaste. I honor the place in which the universe dwells in you. When you're in that spiritual place within yourself and I'm in that place within myself, we're one because we're in that place within our own selves, essentially. I understand. Not a coincidence. Oh, <laughs> that was the universe coming out of the shell. Oh. <laughs> no, I wanted to say, um, what did I want to say? I wanted to say this before because we were on the topic when we got off, but because this is such a taboo is the topic of sex work it's a taboo of the top in the topic in recovery and outside of recovery but i just wanted to add that when i was in my addiction i did uh work as a stripper for a time mm-hmm. and i freaking loved it i loved the dancing i loved the 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 wild uh wildness to it all um so and I honestly, I would love on the weekend to go down to Las Vegas and dance once a month or once, you know, whatever it is, and just still do something like that. But because there's so much judgment, I could never do it, especially because I'm a professional now and people look at you a certain way. And can you imagine? They'd be like, oh, she hadn't relapsed what she's doing over there. But what if it's just that I wanted to dance and I wanted to dance naked and I wanted the, you know, the fun of having the attention and all of that like what if it and I'm not somebody who's ever had um, sexual abuse in my in my life Mm -hmm. I know a lot of you know women who are in that uh, industry deal with that but that's not something I've struggled with Mm -hmm. or that I'm coming from you know a place of so I do think that some people can use that in in a in a way that isn't unhealthy um, so I, I just agree. wanted to add that. Yeah, I for sure. Agree. I know a lot of people in recovery that um, even now I know people in recovery that um, are strippers and, uh, you know, it's their form of, of empowerment and it's their form of um, feeling confident and sexy and feeling like, um, you know, a lot of them are entertainers too. And, you know, I, there is no right or wrong. And I think it's really important to not judge people and support people in whatever path. But also, like, if you're in recovery, like, and you want to be a stripper or you are stripping, like, helping somebody to feel 
at peace with their decisions, but also like not shaming them. Right. I think it's important for people to be supported within whatever decisions they make. Yeah. And it goes, yeah. And and I was going to say it goes both ways because I remember I went um, to, I have a a girlfriend that I've known for a long, long time and she grew up Mormon. Molly Mormon is what they say to, you know, the girls that follow all the rules. And I was always, you know, growing up like, why are you following the rules? Why do you, you know, you don't have to get married and have kids and sweep the floor and you should go travel the world. And we went and saw a movie and I can't remember what it was, but there was somebody in there that was like, you know, I just, all I want in life is to have kids and be a mom. And she turned to me and she's like, Shannon, this is what I've been trying to tell you. This is who I am. This is what I want. You know what I mean? Mm. And I was like, whoa. So I'm just saying that, that yes. So it's like, we let's honor the wild ones and let's also honor the quiet ones and, and, the people who do want to follow the rules and, or maybe Trump fans or, but let's honor the space that everybody's in and not make it about us. Like we don't need to necessarily, you know, fight at everything all the time. So, so true. So true. Kind of segueing to another topic. I, uh, a couple of months ago had done something, which is, um, it's called Cambo. Shannon, I was telling you this story before, um, but it's it's essentially, Chris, you're going to think this is wild, but so it's essentially where a shaman kind of guides you to to um, have like a trip per se, but there's no psychoactive. Is it breathing? No. So it's basically uh, Amazonian frog ven, no, Amazonian frog. Are you talking about DMT? No, but it's the same family as DMT. Okay. Um, where they like do the shaman does like this sacred ceremonial gathering yeah. and they burn your skin with like this ancient wood about. and then they put like the venom or whatever it is, mm-hmm. the secretion on your skin and then like you just vomit for like 20, 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, this is like not psychoactive and it, like it doesn't have any of those mm-hmm. proponents, but um, people in recovery that I've told are like, that's a relapse. And I'm like, wait a second like this is for the betterment of my evolution this is for me like to seek more of my truth and to kind of clear away some of the toxins mentally emotionally and spiritually that I've had throughout my life and people still look at you funny and I don't share this story with much many people you do now now it's on the podcast but I like wanted to bring that up because there are many things, even as people in recovery, that we don't have to limit ourselves. I mean, if you're like totally into 12 steps and that's working for you and like I am too, but at the same time. You'll burn your hand. and Well, like just, I mean, I'm not trying. The hard part is I'm not trying to encourage people. I'm on people. your side. I'm, I'm telling, I'm. this is my inner dialogue. I'm not trying to encourage people to like do ayahuasca or, you know, DMT, but, you know, kind of like knowing your own truth and exploring your own truth and like, fuck what people say. Well, and I love that you brought this up, Chelsea, because I don't think, I think, I don't know. I love that you're sharing that because there are no rules and it isn't about what anybody else thinks and you're not encouraging anybody 
all you're encouraging people to do is to honor their truth. You're saying, this is something I tried to see if it works for me, um, that I'm interested in on my spiritual path. And that gives people, just by saying that, the courage to go, well, huh, if she's open-minded to do that, what can I find that maybe I've been closing off because I'm worried about whatever it's going to say that works best for me? Yes. You're empowering people, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, kind of really talking about like getting people to share their truth too, you know, like, because sometimes like, for instance, people in recovery, they're like, I can't take Benadryl or like, I can't take cough medicine. Like, you know, I'm not supposed to cause I'm in recovery and it's like, bitch, you sick. Like <laughs> if you need cough medicine, take Keep cough sneezing. medicine, <laughs> you Keep know, sneezing um, but like, it's really important to know, like, what are your limits and like, what are things, you know, that you define as your recovery? Like, and I think we need to share more of that because we don't talk about it. But I think what, uh, she was saying was that you have to honor those people that t- don't want to take Benadryl as well. Totally. No, it's so true. I'm not like, fuck, don't take, fuck you for not taking Benadryl, but. But I think it brings up like a good point. Cause it's like, cause it's so true. So we have to honor those. Because it's also about, like, maybe some people, if they take Benadryl, they will right. feel like they're going to relapse. You know, who knows what that is? And so making space and honoring that truth for them. But I think what, what you know, being in the recovery movement now for six years or whatever and working as a professional behind the scenes or in front of the scenes, it's like we've created a culture of taboos and one of the taboos is that you know if you go under the knife and you have surgery you shouldn't take pain medication and it's that's part of the language uh, that in in our culture now in this recovery movement is that we're like it we're expected to not take any form of drugs or anything like that Mm -hmm. and it's it's something we need to stop and say no (laughs) if i'm going under the knife i'm gonna have you know, some something to help alleviate the pain, and that's my choice. And it doesn't mean that I'm relapsing, and I get to decide when I'm relapsing or what that looks like and, and for me. Um, Absolutely. I was going to change. Well, I wanted to just say something else um, about there's one taboo that really just for some reason bothers me. But so when we got, when, you know, the, the movement started taking off, um, uh, this recovery advocacy movement and I think 2014 um, with the anonymous people the shown by Greg Williams which is now available on Netflix <laughs> this um, is not a sponsored ad <laughs> exactly but he so it was a great movie because it came out and it said that you know because everybody was introducing themselves hi my name's Shannon and I'm an a- alcoholic and so it was kind of educating people like, okay, we've got to stop using those words because words have power and we're not alcoholics. We're people in long-term recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. And so they basically gave us a new script. Mm. Um, they did all these recovery message trainings around the nation. And they're like, we don't like this old script and here's why. So here's your new script. And something I feel is taboo that we can't talk about is I don't want to go along with anybody's fucking script. <laughs> I'm an I individual. In, in a oh. previous episode as well. In, 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 a diff- in a different way, meaning that like 
we were talking about language and I was trying to explain to somebody how just because you change language doesn't mean it's not the same, it doesn't mean the same thing. Yes, and that's powerful because the underlying messages are that we're all following a script. Mm -hmm. We are not independent thinkers. We all must say the same thing and be the same way. And, and that is dangerous. I completely it, agree. You know, you get people that are wounded and coming into recovery and you give them scripts and more rules to follow. Why aren't we giving them the ability? And I know that we are. We are. We're giving them the ability to self-direct in some ways. But at the same time, we're asking them to conform. So there's a lot of mixed messages being given by recovery leaders to vulnerable recovery community members. Wow. I have never thought of that ever. That's so interesting. I teach recovery messaging training. <laughs> I know. And it's a beautiful thing. No, really I know you know that for sure. <laughs> I totally know. I totally know you. Yeah. And I think it is beautiful too, but I also am like, wow, like that totally. Yeah. That, that totally resonates. And I think once you, once you start telling people, like you said, you know, you give them that script and it's like, join the club. Mm. You're now this. Exactly. You're now this. And even though we're using, you know, new, different, more positive language, it's still dampening the individual in, in some way, shape or form. Because you're not an individual anymore. No, you're a person in long-term recovery. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I think I was so sensitive to that when Greg was, you know, training all of us in the beginning back in the day because it literally reminded me. So in the Mormon church, as two-year-old kids, we had to start getting up and doing fast and testimony meeting, and they would take us up to the pulpit, and your dad would whisper in your ear. He would whisper your testimony to you. What is that? It's you testifying that you know this church is true. So my dad would literally whisper in my ear, say, Shannon, say my, oh, I can't remember. It's been so long. Something like, um, my name is Shannon, and I know this church is true. I know that Joseph Smith is the prophet of God. I know that. So it, it's all of the children's testimonies are the exact same. Mm. And so he would whisper it in my ear, and I would repeat it. I would repeat the script as if it were my truth. I was never fucking asked, is this your truth? I wasn't allowed to have a truth. I was only allowed to conform. And so when you give someone a script and say, this is what we're using now without fucking asking them, that's not okay. They no. don't have to say they're in long-term recovery if they don't want to. You just they get to decide how they're going to represent their new journey i mean they're so vulnerable in early recovery we have to be more um we have to give them the ability to think for themselves yeah if someone wants to say uh i'm a person that eats rocks mm -hmm. and if that means person in long-term recovery for, for them like why the fuck not well i would say that's kind of a danger to your health yeah don't <laughs> eat rocks but i'm just saying words are words yeah. I, mean, I mean, we're taught in recovery that words have power and that like words um, can make or break or stigmatize or destigmatize. And we also know. live in a universe where there are many variables. 
Well, for sure. But I like, yeah, that really hit for sure, Shannon. I, I definitely, yeah. I think for some people they need conformity in a way they don't need, but they feel um, a sense of belonging because maybe they haven't had that before or they haven't been taught um, like basic life skills or things of that nature. And it helps them to feel as though they um, are belonging and, and, you know, and connected, if you will. But I kind of see it like as a math equation, like one plus three equals four. But also 2 plus 2 equals 4. And 1.5 plus, you know, 2.5 equals 4. I mean, they're all going to equal 4. It's just you get to choose how you get there. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. Right? And I and I, 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 I hear what you're saying too, Chelsea, about, um, you know, people needing conformity and they need structure. Um, not, I everybody, not, not everybody, not everybody. That's exactly what we're saying. But it, but it's also like how I think the material is being presented. To me, <clears throat> the uh, recovery message training was presented that this is how it is. For it sure. wasn't that these are suggestions. So I think that it should always be presented as suggestions and that, you know, you provide guidelines for people who do need more more of a structure. But I think that I think the proof is in the statistics that more people relapse than, you know, maintain. Not many people are lucky like you and I, Chelsea, where Mm -hmm. they get out and and they get stable and they go on and get to do all these leadership things in the community. Most of our community members will struggle and suffer and stay addicted most of their life. Mm -hmm. And I, for me, I believe it's because we're not getting, we're not getting to the root of the issue, which is an individual self-worth. And we don't reach their self-worth by asking them to conform from the get-go. So there's a lot of things we can do in our trainings, in our, in our community groups that allow people, that nurture the individual from the get-go. Because I really do think that most people, as we know, are suffering from trauma it was because they weren't heard, they weren't valued, they weren't given a voice, and that wound is so deep, and that's what we have to nurture from the beginning. It's not like, here's a program, right. memorize this, and get up and repeat after me, because then we're just re-traumatizing everybody all over again. We're not seeing people. We're not giving them individual freedom. So, anyways. I love it. No, it makes it really does make sense, for sure. Truly. But again... It's not something that we talk about because much like any kind of powerful entity, we don't question it because it's powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, the nature of the word taboo in general, meaning, you know, not the norm. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I think everybody is not the norm. Yeah. Who, what, is, yeah. What, what is norm? That's what that's what I mean is you you can call, you know, you can say this way of recovery is taboo. You know, if you get 100 people together and they all have a different idea of the exact same thing, are they all taboo? You know what I'm saying? It's we live in in a reality where everybody has their own unique perspective. I think, though, that if you have 100 people that have a classified as a taboo pathway of something. I still think that's a minority. And I think that a lot of like 
topics around minorities in different groups but I guess, can still be taboo. I guess what I'm saying is like this table is blue to yeah. me, right? Uh, there's no way of you relaying the fact that you see the same blue, mm. you know? Well, you can describe other things that are that But blue. I'll never know what you actually see. Right. I like that a lot. I do. Yeah, I wonder if it matters if any of us see the same thing anyways, you know? I mean, what if we just, all that mattered was that we finally saw ourselves mm. and could define, you know what I mean? Like, we're, and that's kind of what's going on with, like, Trump and all this stuff. We're all just shouting, trying to, you know, get our point across when the, the I think the cool work is the stuff that goes on inside. It doesn't matter who we convince. It doesn't matter if we're on the same page. Um, we get the only point is to keep talking and finding our truth and sharing it. And the more we do that, the more it inspires people to find their truth. It, by Chelsea sharing about her frog poison or whatever that was, <laughs> she's not saying everybody go try frog poison and cut up your arms and stick it in there, whatever. <laughs> she's saying, hey, honor your truth. This is what I did. I went and honored my truth, even though, you know, it was, you know, there could, there's judgment that's going to happen in you sharing that. You still have the courage to share that you did something that was taboo. And that's the power in sharing your, your truth. I'm going I'm to ask you one final question, if you don't mind. And then sh before you do, Shannon, we have a million more topics that I, because it's over an hour now. I want to get you back on because there's so many other topics that I want to cover. Yeah, I would love that. That'd be awesome. Okay. My question is the on the the lengths of the self worth and courage, and I struggle with um, being comfortable with these things, where I make a decision and feel powerful for a fleeting moment, but it's hard to stay in that and and. And be confident that in in those things, and I'm I'm just curious on how you stay so worthy to yourself. You mean feeling so worthy? Yeah. Well, I think that that's fascinating that you don't you feel you don't feel so worthy in your decisions. Do you know why that is? No, and I was having this conversation with my brother about you know whatever issues I've been having lately, where I've. He he told me hey, nobody should make me feel worthless, and I I tried to explain to him that I, I'm not sure I ever felt worth. So you're not sure what that I've ever felt any worth, and I'm just curious because I've been thinking about this lately and and trying to make you know more positive decisions and confident decisions. Can I say something? Yeah, I feel like um, these situations that we go through in life. Um, are a true test to our self-worth and like I feel like they're also a way for us to gain self-worth too. Uh, like I'm trying to see it that way myself but again I guess I'm just curious on and how you maintain your self-worth. Hmm. Yeah that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> wow that's freaking that's intense <laughs> just kidding i mean it feels intense because it's, it's a very important question how do you maintain your self-worth or um, have any at all or have any i 
I think, oh, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's, I don't want to say something that's unattainable. I think it's, for me, it was a process of, because I felt that, I, I think, I think you have to start at the beginning. You have to first understand, Chris, why you, you don't feel that you have value. Because we are born with intrinsic value, something that felt and a part of, you know, our human nature and experience. And so if you don't have that now, I think you have to go back. This is what I did, and this at least is what works for me. I went through my past and tried to unravel why I felt, you know, self-loathing and just no value whatsoever in who I was and what I had to offer the world. And as I could peel the layers, that's where I began to see with all the other bullshit coming off of me. You know, my parents used to tell me I was mentally ill because I didn't, I wanted to follow Satan. And that was because I wanted to go to Africa and not get married. That's why I was mentally ill. So I had all these negative self-beliefs that were not true and was able to as I got healthier and found recovery and just did a lot of, you know, the internal work, peeling the layers, understanding that those perceptions that people taught me in my past were not true. And just knowing that I, there's nothing about me that makes me valuable except the fact that I'm human and I have intrinsic value. So I'm valuable no matter what, no matter how many mistakes I make, there's nobody on the planet like me, so I'm already contributing something unique just by being here. And so, I don't know, I would just, um, how do I maintain that every day? I don't, I don't bring in relationships that um, devalue me. I'm very choosy about who I spend time with. And also, I do not get caught up in stories that are not empowering about who I am. So if, some, if my parents are talking crap, I just separate from it. I say that's not the truth about me. That's their story about me. But that's not has nothing to do with who I am or the story I want to tell myself. That's fake so news. So anyway, fake news. Hashtag fake news. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Shannon, you're amazing. I really, really hope that I can get you back soon. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I would love to come back anytime. Okay, cool. And before we go, where can people find you? Um, people can find me on shannonegan.com or follow me on Instagram at Shannon May Egan. That's Shannon M A E E G A N. Thank you. It sounds like you've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was practicing my radio voice. It was beautiful. Thank you, Shannon. Shannon, you're the best. Subscribe and listen on all the major streaming platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Give us a rating on that iTunes, Apple podcast thing. We uh, need them. Follow us on social media at Recover Everything. Go to our website, recovereverything.com to tell us a story, 
uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you.